0: Scott, there's been a lot of dust around here and that's because we're making some big changes, some some significant moves around here. It's a remodel of Trail Runner Nation, if you will. And we're going to have a grand opening at the trailhead. We're going to put some ribbon up. We're going to get those big scissors and we're going to cut that ribbon. So that's coming up in the future. So so why are we mentioning this? Well, I mean, I would just want to excuse the noise, and we're still open for business during construction. Oh, Okay, yeah. We're
1: still going to be releasing weekly podcasts just as normal, but you may start to see some changes, maybe a little facelift here, a may, maybe a little
0: bit of an, a, a tuck there. An amputation in this case, Scott. <laughs> so so stay tuned and see if you can find the changes we're going to be working on. Maybe we on. should start a
1: game. What's new with TRN? Hashtag. I will tell you, and, and as we get closer to some of these changes, um, we will let you know. All right. We ready? Yeah. <laughs> Poor, miserable me. I'm having cramps. And this person over here is flying by me.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah yeah um you, you're
0: recording this aren't you freeman i get everything all right we ready yeah
1: hey thanks for joining another edition
0: of trail runner nation my name is scott war and i'm don freeman sheltered in place today in auburn california far away from scott so scott <laughs> we may have to, we may have to somehow communicate uh in ways that are that we normally don't do we can't kick each other under the table anymore. There you go. <laughs> but joining us today is Michael McNight, and you know Michael because if you followed any part of racing, he is your Triple Crown champion. He he ran three of Destination Trails' two hundred mile races. Combined his time against everybody else that ran the Triple Crown, and nobody did it faster than Michael. And so he's joining us again. He's been on in the past. He is. Been on to report some of his success on the 200 mile runs and how he managed that, but today we're going to talk a bit about something different. Another plan he has, Scott. And and and
1: Michael is not a guy that likes to toot his own horn, but I'm going to allow him to toot his own horn because I don't know the facts, so he's going let's, to correct the let, facts. Let's
0: toot his <laughs> let's let's toot his horn for
1: him. So not only did 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 he, he you have the fastest triple crown um, combined time but didn't you win two of the three?
2: No. I I won three of the three.
1: (laughs) Three, You won all three of them. See, I knew that there was some truth there, and that's why we allowed him to toot his own
0: horn. So he won every – yeah. What I really appreciate is you gave him a chance to step up and even improve the story. You're so subtle in your technique that sometimes it even gets past us. Yeah,
1: so that's that's pretty impressive. Not only do you win every single two hundred that year, but he he of course because he won, you can do the math. If you have some some uh, um, youngsters at home that you're homeschooling right now, um, ask them about that. Uh, what what's the newfangled math called? Uh, new math, uh, Michael. You should know. You have kid. You don't have school age kids yet, but no, oh, what's it yet. called? There, there's new fangled, a newfangled Common Core math. math. That's okay. it. So, so get out your, your kids to tell them common core. If a racer wins all three races, does that mean that he has the fastest cumulative time? Of course it does. That's, that's common core. Make it fun. Make, make education fun, Don. That's what I'm trying to say.
0: And if we were in the same room right now, you'd be experiencing a little shin pain right now. It's time to move on, Scott.
1: (laughs) All right. Why are we talking to Michael besides he's just really fast at long distances?
0: Well, you know, if that's for me to answer, well'll we will we will let Michael listen in of, of why we're talking to him. Michael has decided that running a hundred miles is hard, but he wants to do it without eating any food at all. He's allowed <laughs> to drink water. Can that water have um, calories in it, Michael?
2: No calories. <clears throat>
0: Holy, Toledo. Okay, just, so this is going to be an intervention. <laughs> we're going to try to talk you out of doing this. Um, so, what spawned the idea? What made you think this is this is a a a, a great and interesting challenge for you?
2: Um, so actually so yesterday was my son's birthday. He just turned three years old, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, obviously that date sticks in my head because it's his birthday, but it's also a very unique date because it was on his birthday when he was born that I went low carb, high fat. Mm. Um, So I've been doing that for about three years, oh, I've been doing that for three years now. (laughs) Um, When I started doing it, it was Zach Bitter and Jeff Browning that told me about it and got me doing it. And I remember one of the first things that they told me that really stuck with me was that any athlete, even one of the skinniest athletes out there, has enough fat storage to last them for quite a while if they weren't taking in any calories. And so I've always wondered how far I could go on no calories, just how true that statement was. And, you know, with all the races being canceled right now, I figured right now is the best time to try that out. And, you know, the hundred mile distance is the distance we all kind of shoot for as ultra runners. So I, I kind of made that my distance to try and go without any calories. Has it, Has anybody ever done this or,
0: or is this going to be a first? Do you know?
2: To my knowledge, no one's done it um there's a runner named mikey skyler who has attempted it twice and he got to about mile 78 with no calories Mm. um we've been talking a little bit and he hasn't told me the exact reasoning behind it but when he did that he went into his run fasted so he didn't eat anything for about 18 hours before he started his run and he thinks that that's the reason that kind of he he didn't make it the full 100 so you know, I'm going to be eating up to like the minute before I start doing it. But as far as I know, no one's a- actually finished a hundred miles with no calories.
0: Did So he's tried it twice. Did, <clears throat> did it occur to him? Maybe he shouldn't fast for 18 hours before the run the second time.
2: No. Okay. <laughs> no, but it, it occurred to him now. So he said next time he's going to do it, he's not going to do that. <laughs>
1: So, I, on your normal training day, um, do you do a fast? Bef- I mean, are you going out on that run fasted?
2: Yeah. Um, I would say 98% of my training runs are fasted, even my long runs.
1: Even before you came up with this crazy idea?
2: Yeah.
0: So, so how, what, what's your longest run fasted? A
2: 50K. And
0: did you experience, so you've certainly eaten through other 50Ks, Uh, what did you experience? What was the difference? Did you feel like heavy legs or maybe you felt, maybe you felt better. Maybe you were surprised that you didn't have to battle that running the digestive system while you're running the race.
2: I felt completely normal. I mean, the only thing that I had was slight cramping towards the end, but that's because I, so this hundred miles that I'm going to do, I'm going to do it with salt pills. Mm -hmm. Um, there's not gonna be any calories, but I will be taking in my salt and the, all my other fasted runs, I don't use salt, so I experience a little bit of cramping, but that's just because of the lack of salt.
0: Yeah, then Does, which uh, we usually, yeah, we usually get that from our food, from the chips or things that are out there on the table,
2: right?
0: <laughs> so, so um, the way that
1: this podcast is going to go down, we're talking to Michael right now on the twentieth of April, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about how he came up with the idea, yada yada, and then we're going to pause. And we're going to let him go do this thing. And then we're going to have him come back after he has a big fat cheeseburger and a large, whatever his favorite beverage is and see how it went. Um, so it's going to be a two part podcast for you.
0: And in solidarity, Michael, what we're going to do is fast in between those podcasts. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait,
1: wait, when, when is the run planned? I need to make that, I need to find that out before I agree to do this solidarity fast.
2: So originally it was going to be May 1st, but I am probably going to move it to May 8th just because this whole last week I had some weird issues and I wasn't able to run for a full week. So I want to get a full training weekend this week and then I'll taper a little bit next week and do it May 8th. Hmm. So, so
0: we're going to kind of, forecast of what you expect, what your plan is. You've actually sent a map, which was very nice of the course. It's, it's, it's in Utah. And you have made some notes on it of what you expect or plans as you go through. We just kind of want to work through some of these things. So, um, what are some of the things that you anticipate going on? When, when do you think you will be running and saying, I wish there was an aid station, full of all the goodies and you daydream at that mile. When do you think that will first happen to you? What do you anticipate? And we'll come back and revisit these same questions to see if you were accurate or maybe, uh, um, way off.
2: (laughs) Well, since I've made it a 50 K with no issues, I am pretty confident I can make it that far easily without wanting any food. Um, I expect that between mile 45 and mile 50 is when I'll really start wishing I have some calories in me. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way I plan my route out, it's just going to be a big loop around Cache Valley, Utah, um, where I live. So the first 30-ish miles are going to be on trail. It's going to be on a trail called the Bonneville Shoreline Trail, and it just kind of goes along the base of the mountain range here. And then the rest of it's going to be road. Um, and the reason I did that is because I kind of wanted to do it as a bad water prep. I got into bad water this year and I don't do a lot of road running. So final 70 miles will be on road. And those final 70 miles, I'll be passing like my sister's house. I'll be passing a couple of friends' houses. I'll pass my parents' house. So I'll be able to stop there and get my water from them. And they know not to give me food, no matter how much I plead and beg, (laughs) but they're also going to be there to you know, motivate me and get me going. So I kind of planned it that way to, to have motivation along the whole hundred miles from friends and family.
0: Will you have a parachute with you, uh, a goo pack or something, just in case the, you know, what hits the fan?
2: No. Huh? No, I'm just going to carry a, I haven't decided yet if I'm going to do my two handhelds or a pack with water, but I'm just going to have two bottles of water with me. That I'll fill up at my parents and my sister's house. Mm-hmm. Michael, what, what
1: what was your last race that you did?
2: Uh, the Moab
1: 240. Okay, so the Moab 240, you go into Moab 240 in a fasted state. What is your plan during a normal race that you're you're planning to run normal or or really fast like you do? Do you go 50k without eating? Do you start eating at mile ten? how do you trickle in the calories in in that race for example
2: um it's pretty normal i start within the first hour i'll start eating um the only difference is is i do a lot less calories than the typical um like carb dependent runner is um for example ben light he and i run quite a bit together and um you know he's actually doing keto right now so he and i are very similar in what we do but before we started keto he was Pounding three to 400 calories an hour where I was doing about 150 calories an hour. So I'm still eating hourly, but I'm just doing quite a bit less than what I used to before keto.
1: What, what type of calories?
2: Mostly fruit based. Um, I do a lot of apple juice. I do a lot of grape juice and then I do freeze dried fruit and then I do applesauce, apple slices and bananas.
0: So, so I, I would imagine running through a town that is filled with easy stops to get food. I mean, a burrito, I mean, there's things that things that I probably would never eat would sound good. <laughs> and, and that that's gotta be even more tempting and more challenging to run past those convenient food stops.
2: Well, the nice thing is anyone that's familiar with cash Valley, um, the whole first 30 miles on the Bonneville shoreline Trail are on the east side of the mountain or sorry, the east side of the valley, And that's where like all the businesses are in Cache Valley. Mm -hmm. Once I hit the road and start heading out towards the west side of the mountain, it's like, sorry, the west side of the valley, it's the, it's the middle of nowhere. It's just a bunch of farm towns. There's no convenience stores. It's very, very empty. So the only time I'll be around convenience stores is when I'm on the east side of the valley at the start, which is when I'll be fairly okay. And then once I might start craving some food, I'll be, I'll just be out in the middle of hayfields. <laughs> I could
1: so, I, I could see you you know jumping in some guy's uh, chicken coop and uh, grabbing a couple eggs, maybe even wrestling a uh, a cow down in the pasture and uh, taking a stick and carving out a big old T-bone or something like that. I mean, oh, uh, come, on, come
0: on, Scott! <laughs> you know, carve out a T-bone from a cow that's laying on its side.
2: <laughs> sure, have you do. more issues if I do that. <laughs>
0: Okay, so so there are other there are people around you, Michael, in your network, friends and family that no doubt love you because you're a lovable guy. Did they ever like talk to you a little bit about this and say, you know, what are you doing and try to talk some sense into you? Uh,
2: No, it's reached the point where they just kind of know. this is how it is so they don't question it anymore (laughs)
0: and and you've got great mentors you've got zach out there that you know is is great at doing this and and who else did you mention was it bronco billy yeah yeah and so they no doubt have wisdom and and they have the mind of an ultra runner they can understand you they they might have even gotten together to talk about you a little bit behind your back i know that many of us have so Uh what what is it exactly that they they um cautioned you about, did they try to help with some planning strategically or to to strategically try to stop this plan? Which one was it?
2: So Jeff is kind of in a position where he has to help me because he's my coach. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So he and I have talked a lot about it and um, he's been very supportive. The only hesitant thing he's like word of caution he's given is with the virus and everything you know, running hundred miles obviously weakens your immune system and doing it without food's gonna do that even more. So he's just been coaching me to pay attention to my body and kinda pay attention to how things are in my part of the state with the virus and to be flexible if I have to move it back just so I don't like put myself in a spot to get sick super easily. But aside from that, he's giving me coaching on when to start, like going very strict on my carbs, like in my normal day lifestyle leading up to the race and and all of that. So he's been pretty supportive about it.
0: So, so, uh, um, as a coach, has he given you some guidance or, or talk to you about, or have you talked to him about pace? Are you going to, are you going to run it at your normal Michael McKnight race setting record setting pace? Or are you going to back off and, and be a middle, a little more human? going to back off. Mm. So Basically. If, you to, if you were to talk about percentage, you know, hundred percent all out, um, where, what range are you going to run at 70% effort? And maybe we really talk about, you know, heart rate. You normally run at X heart rate. Where are you going to, where are you going to slide it back? So forget my percentage stuff. Cause that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But let's talk about, um, your heart rate, where you r- normally race and where you plan on, uh, racing this.
2: So I normally race, I mean, for, for a hundred miles, I'm normally at around 155, but my heart rate's normally at 155. Mm-hmm. Um, so for this, I'm gonna probably keep it around 145. Mm. Um, keep it aerobic the whole time, no anaerobic at all. Basically, any kind of uphill, I'm gonna be hiking it. Um, super, super chill pace. Um, but yeah, around 145 is what I'm gonna be good for.
1: I, I'm still. I'm um, caught on your uh, your your answer when you ran the 240 at Moab in a non-fasted state, going in with a with a uh, a fat adapted body. You've already run a 50k at um, a no calorie, and you said that was not too different than a normal 50k. What are your expectations going into this? Do you th- do you think that you if you slow your heart rate down and go at a slower pace? that you can tap into those fat stores and just continue to, to use those fat stores as energy? Or do you think there, there will be a bonk? Do you think that, what are your expectations? And, 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 and and more importantly, how are you going to overcome any, any obstacles when it comes to nutrition?
0: You want, you want to add any more questions on that string of comments, Scott? There was just two, usually
1: three.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I, you know, it's unknown territory for me, so I I don't know if I'm going to bonk. I will say ever since I've gone like low carb, high fat that I have not bonked. Um, You know, my legs get slightly fatigued just like any other runner, but in terms of that bonk where I just feel like I'm going to die, I haven't ever had that since going low carb, high fat. So, you know, I have the hope that. You know, anyone that follows, like, low-carb, high-fat knows of Dr. Finney and Dr. Volek. They're pretty up there in terms of the research they've done, especially with low-carb, high-fat for endurance athletes. Um, And I should have looked up the study before I got on this, but, you know, I can't remember the exact amount, but they gave, like, a specific amount of, like, how far an endurance athlete should be able to go without calories. And, And so I hope that I won't have a bonk, but, you know, it's so hard to say. Um, but I suspect that if I'm just staying in my aerobic threshold, that if I'm not going anaerobic and if I just, you know, don't have that spike where glucose is a little bit more beneficial than just fat storage, then I think I should be good. I don't know so, so, Ma- sense.
0: <laughs> so Michael, you know, you've got the, the number one researchers, two doctors out there that have set the standard for this stuff. And, there's a number out there that they've quoted, and they've cited in their literature. An endurance athlete should be able to run. Just tell me this: was it over or under a hundred? Because you should remember that. That shouldn't be something that should slip away from you. That's an important one data point, just one piece. Over un, under a hundred.
2: I want to say it's over a hundred. Good. Okay. Well, then you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean. I feel like somebody would have tried it if that's true too though, so who knows.
0: <laughs> have you talked to them at all? Or, or how are they following you? Because if I was them, I'd be very interested.
2: I haven't talked to them. They don't know me. <laughs> I know they Zach well. Bitter <laughs> Zach Bitter talks to him a lot, so maybe I'll reach out to him and try and get in contact with him.
0: Absolutely. I think they I think I think they'd be very interested in this.
1: You know, we have Do, uh we have a previous podcast where uh, it's been a few years ago where we talked to Zach about when he became fat adapted. Um, Are are you talking to him? Does he know that you're going to be doing this and does he have any advice for you?
2: Yeah, I've talked to him a little bit, but I try not to go too overboard on him since Jeff's my coach. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I know that people, you know, it, his, his their services are very valuable, and I don't want to abuse that so too much since he's not my official coach. But you know, we've talked a little bit about it, and I know that he's mentioned that if he would ever try something like that, that he would adopt. You know the time when we talked about it, he would, he said he would adopt a 100% carnivore diet leading up to it, hmm. um, and so I, I've been toying with that a little bit as well, um, more strict keto and and more carnivore, but but we haven't talked too much about how he would go about it.
0: Yeah. I I think that might make sense that you completely reteach or relearn or get up to speed the mechanism to uh, take, convert the fat into fuel or the protein in that case, but just turning off the the carbs to fuel mechanism in the body by going more carnivore. So I think that's good.
2: But I think it is interesting to note too, that both of them have told me that, you know, Start strict keto carnivore right now um, about 20 days out and then roughly two days before the, not the race, but two days before the project, whatever you want to call it, two days before that, do a little bit of a load. Um, Not like the pasta and breads and pizza that a lot of runners do before the races, but have a few servings of fruit, a couple servings of potatoes and, and top the glycogen storage off and then that way you know, you've been burning fat for about two weeks going into it and then you top your glycogen storage off and that way you can kind of dual fuel it throughout the, the actual hundred miles without any calories. Um, if that makes sense. Do you think that you'll increase your
0: fluid intake just to fill the belly or just to just psychologically that you're putting stuff in, do you see your fluid in, intake increasing?
2: No, I'm planning on doing it the same.
0: Um, you all, you all, Scott, did you?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, I have a quick question, unless you have one on the same topic there.
0: Well, you know, <laughs> many times I started speaking before I even know the question, if you know my style, so go ahead.
1: I, I was just going to talk about the course and the climate. Uh, on May 1st, Cache Valley, Utah, uh, it, it was the home of Logan, it's uh, Utah State. That that part of the climate on May 1st, it's going to be fairly cool in the mornings, um, it's not unknown to even get a, a a snow shower, just snow. You don't say a snow shower, a snowstorm, even into in, even into May. Um, so it's going to be fairly cool. You're not going to have to worry about the heat. Um, the course, I'm not familiar with the uh, Bonneville. What did you call it? The Bonneville Trail.
2: Out of those shoreline
1: Shore, shoreline trail i am familiar with the valley and there's just some rolling hills there so you're not going to have to really focus on a lot of climbing and descending i would i would think so you're taking that variable out which you're very accustomed to uh with uh, candace's 200 mile uh runs where she just you wow. know make sure you're either going up or down and there's no flat Um, are are there any concerns? I mean, did you do that on purpose to get some of those variables out so you could just focus on continuing to run for a hundred miles?
2: Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, a big part of it was for bad water training as well. Um, I need to get more used to running on, on road. And, you know, I know that there is elevation gain at bad water, but it's not as high as what I'm used to. So bad water training, but then also just trying to not make it. So I have certain things to waste my energy on. Um, cause my, so my goal to do this, like my overall goal is to do it in under 24 hours. Um, my like dream goal is to do it in under 20 hours. And so, you know, if there's some steep climbing, steep elevation gain, and I'm going to have to be power hiking through that thats going to waste a little bit more energy than if I just had to kind of power hike on a flat road at a couple sections. So just, you know, as you said, taking out some variables, bad water training, and, and also just this time of year, anything higher up, there's still too much snow to, to really get any kind of elevation gain.
0: What's really interesting is to see not only the outcome, cause it's going to be fun to come back and for others, they don't have to wait because they'll just continuing, to listen to the podcast, they'll get to hear how the rest of the story went. The rest of us and Scott and I in solidarity will be fasting, waiting for this to to happen. Um, How do you think this will affect your future racing when you're allowed to eat? Do you think you might move some of this into your future races?
2: Yeah. Well, depends on uh, what the outcome is. Yeah. True. True. (laughs) Um, Um, If it's a good outcome, then... I'm going to be a lot more strategic with my carbs. Yeah. Um, Not feel like I have to take something every hour. Um, Overall, though, I feel like you can be a dual fuel burner. Like you can burn carbs, you can burn fat, you can be good at both of that. So I feel like in a a racing scheme, taking carbs out isn't too beneficial. Um, This is more or less, I just want to try this just to see if I can do it or not.
0: So, so here, here's a, a, um, a couple of questions I have for you. That what we've learned in the past, when you when you take in less um, fuel, that you're a clean, and especially uh, the high carbs, you're a cleaner burning machine. That there's less inflammatory processes that happen, and so the pain in the knees and the foot. Do you notice that when you decrease your fueling, your 30k and uh, in 50k? that you've done, um, less joint pain, less achiness.
2: Totally, The recovery time, it, like, you know, while I'm running, it feels a lot better, but the recovery time in between runs is night and day. Um, that's why I feel the triple crown last year, I was able to do so much better than in 2017, just because the recovery time is a lot quicker. The inflammation's a lot lower. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a believer in it. That's why I still do it.
0: Yeah, so so why don't you compare and contrast 2017 um, from 18? The when you you had a a cleaner diet, what was the recovery like between those races? So in
2: 2017, I didn't run once in between any of the 200s. I felt super bloated. My legs were super swollen. I was super worried about the outcome of the next race. Whereas 2019, I was running a week after. Finishing one of the 200s. So I had two and a half to three weeks where I was running in between each of the 200s, no sw- swelling in my knees, no swelling in my calves. Like I felt obviously fatigued, but I felt super confident that I could find a groove going into the other two to 200s. So I, I feel a lot more confident, better last year than I did the two years before.
0: Okay. So, so final uh, um, question before we wrap up is tell me about how the stomach feels when you run these more fasted because yes, joint pain less. That's pretty awesome. Many things that we experience on lung runs is, you know, we visit a tree at a 90 degree bend at our waist as we're, we're getting sick. How about you? How does it, how does stomach feel throughout the race?
2: Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> so I feel You know i i i typically weigh between 175 and 185 Mm. and before i started doing this i found myself in this vicious cycle of bonking at races or having stomach issues at races so i'd either not eat enough calories for my weight and just not have any energy or i'd be eating enough calories but my stomach had a hard time digesting it and i felt sick all the time and so ever since going to this, I'm able to lower those calories. So I'm having the, the digestive issues, and I'm still having a steady increase of energy. So I feel that anybody that that is you know a little bit of a bigger runner is into the more hundred miles to two hundred miles distance, that doing a low carb high fat diet is kind of a no brainer. <laughs> um, there's really no downside to it if you do it right, because you have the energy and you're not having to have stomach issues because you're not having to digest as much food.
0: Fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, Michael doesn't, he doesn't talk about this much and he, he's, he's not hiding it, but Michael has had um, history and we have it on a, a previous podcast of having a a fractured spine and recovered from it and still goes out there and performs at the highest level running for team Solomon at this point. And, you know, just a remarkable athlete. So not sure, not your average guy that's, uh, uh, has a strong mind and a lot of talent. And we really look forward to seeing what happens on this uh, hundred mile race and following you. If it's probably on Twitter, some kind of way, I imagine there's something out there, but if not, We'll have the results here, and we'll be able to uh, hear the story straight from Michael, and we've and we've got him on record uh, here at uh, p- part one of this two part in a single episode. Scott, hey Michael, I'm I'm super excited
1: for you, and I think it's it's stuff like this that takes our sport to the next level. I mean, you think about you know the first time someone decided to run 100 miles, they said couldn't be done, couldn't be done. Don said that it couldn't be, you know, a human wasn't able to run 50 miles. And, you know, he's, <laughs> that he, was me. Yeah. And, and, and he's done the triple crown with you and, 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 and so I, I love that you're, you're helping science or at least our, our psyche push the limits, uh, to help us know what really is possible. Maybe there aren't limits. And uh, I, I appreciate that. So we're looking forward to seeing how things go. Um, you know, success or failure, you're willing to put yourself out there and be a vulnerable and uh, try it. So thank you.
0: Michael, best of luck to you. We'll regain you in about, uh, rejoin you in about five seconds for the listeners. And for us, <laughs> it'll be a week or so. So go out and run and eat less moss. <laughs> <laughs> what? I
1: don't know. Nope. <laughs> run, run, moss, eat less. That's right. Okay,
0: we'll, we'll fix that. You in can post, edit that, Scott. can't you? We'll, we'll fix that in post. Post it. Post edit. Yep. <laughs> all, all the words are there, and people don't know this, but we just, we just talk a lot of words, and then I have to go assemble a complete podcast <laughs> yeah. using the words.
1: The podcast only takes an hour to record. It takes Don like uh, five days to edit because he has to. It's, it's like a big scramble.
3: yeah (laughs)
0: because who spoke about here but in the end what we'll listen to is your attempt to get ready for a hundred (laughs) mile yeah okay this is part two scott um if you look back in time in our time machine april 20th michael mcknight was saying i'm gonna run a hundred miles on zero calories or if you're listening to this podcast we just played
1: that (laughs) so it's really not looking back in time it's as 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 if a time machine hit we just we just finished talking to michael pre hundred mile without food run and now we're with michael post
0: hundred miles. So j- just to prove my point, Scott, we traveled back just a few seconds in exactly. this time machine. Exactly. <laughs> so Michael, welcome back. You look fantastic. We will we'll at least extend that to the listening audience. And, and, and we'll start out with this. If, if
1: people weren't following on social media, you did it. I did it. And you did I it. Survived.
0: Not, 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 not only surviving, you did it in spades. Yeah, you, you you said humbly, I think the goal will be sub twenty-four, but you did a bit better than that. Why don't you why don't you tell us that the three the three bullet points, hundred miles, zero calories in what what time?
2: Eighteen thirty seven. Eighteen hours thirty seven minutes. Were you
0: running for the food or were you just just that fast? <laughs>
2: Just chugging along, hoping to get home and go to bed before 1 (laughs) a.m.
1: I want to know, is this the fastest you've run 100 miles?
2: Um, No, the fastest is just over 16 hours. Mm. So this is pretty pretty darn
1: close. (laughs) Pretty darn close. Yeah. At what point during this run did you think, you know what? I got this. I think I got
2: this. About mile 87.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you have 13 miles left. So, yeah. <laughs> so what, what what were the biggest things you had to contend with? Because all of us in a race will say, I re- the cramping was just the chafing, the, the blister. You know, was what was your biggest obstacle? Was it the food or something else?
2: The biggest obstacle was like when I hit mile 32, which was the furthest I'd gone previously without calories it just all became this like open-ended what's going to happen for these next, what is that? 68 miles. Right. And so just constantly in the back of my head, I just kept thinking, okay, like any minute my legs are going to give out, my muscles are going to seize, I'm going to fall over and I can't move. Like I didn't know what to expect. Um, and so that was just, that was the biggest thing. But aside from that, like I didn't have stomach issues. I didn't cramp. I didn't get overly tired. I just kind of chugged along and like in terms of, uneventful, this, this is a pretty uneventful run because it went so perfectly.
0: (laughs) So, so, uh, as you were going through and, and watching those next 68 miles, just move out in front of you, did it keep you preoccupied thinking of what's going on, checking in mentally preoccupied, not with the miles in front of you, just with what's happening inside, because it was a, an exciting event for you just to, to see the experiment unroll.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that preoccupied my mind though, is I designed the route around Cache Valley, Utah, where I grew up. Mm. And like, you know, I have family here. I have friends here. I had my old high school teachers here and a lot of people like, I didn't realize this, but I designed the route to go by a lot of houses of people that I knew. And so people were following me on the track, or I had a couple of high school teachers that were outside on their corner that cheered me on as I went by and, It's just really cool to see places that I've spent my whole life seeing and people that I've known for years, and that just kind of helped me get through it throughout the day. It was great. I went by my grandparents' grave. It was was just a fun experience. Wow.
1: (laughs) Hey, Michael, did you ever get hungry? (laughs) You know, besides the whole fuel thing, you know, I need fuel to power my muscles. Did you ever
2: get hungry? So that's been the weirdest thing about this is my hunger is in the exact – opposite of what I thought it would be during and after. Hmm. It's getting to the point where like I have to force myself to eat just because I'm not hungry. Like yesterday I only ate dinner. Today I, I had breakfast because I forced myself to eat, but like my appetite's gone for some reason. <laughs>
0: hmm. You know, um hmm. I, I'm familiar a little bit, not as much as you two Cash Valley brothers, but I, I've been to Cash Valley. And when you ran by that ANW did it just draw you in and say, Come have a, a Papa burger?
2: No. The oh, only thing that got me
0: <laughs> there's Mama Burger and Papa Burger.
2: Yeah. And then there's the big blue burger.
0: Okay, oh, I haven't gone that far yet. Not enough courage.
2: <laughs> um the only thing that like got me was when I passed a bag of marshmallows that somebody littered on oh. the side of the road. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, okay, I could eat that right now and not really care. <laughs> but no, like Like, seriously, I didn't get hungry, and I've been having to force myself to eat ever since, so it's kind of weird. I don't know if I'm, like, in a deep state of ketosis because of that, and I'm just satiated because of my fat storage or whatever, but I'm just, I'm not hungry.
0: (laughs) So, did you lose any weight then? So Mm. Because this energy had to come from somewhere.
2: Yeah, so I lost 10 pounds, Mm. but... like the day after I really forced myself to eat the day after because I knew how key it was to get some protein in immediately after. And so after like twenty-four hours, the weight came back and I'm back to normal.
1: Wow. Did did you find that without food that you were drinking more?
2: Yes. Yeah. I was drinking a lot. And I I, I can't remember if I mentioned this in the the whole time travel podcast like we did <laughs> earlier. But so I had two bottles of water with me and I had a Ziploc baggie of Redmond Real Salt and then a Ziploc baggie of magnesium and potassium citrate. And so what I would do, just because like, you know, S caps and hammer pills and stuff like that, technically there's some calories in the actual capsule itself. Hmm. And so I just got the baggies of just the salt and the magnesium and every hour or two I would just I'd lick my finger, I'd stick it in the bag. And then whatever stuck, I would suck off and then gargle it down with some of my water.
1: <laughs> you, you know, interesting. I've been on many runs with Don where he'll actually take the S-cap and pop it open and and sprinkle it on his tongue. That's why you know, what oh, really?
0: prefer to take it, right? Well, I'm just looking for something to do so I can stop for a second, Scott. <laughs> but but in, I, I do that because of what we've, we've heard and talked to people about. The salt actually rolling past the back of your tongue has some type of... Of reflex that can break a muscle spasm somehow. At least that's what they hypothesize, or at that's least he, theory. he hypothesizes. Yeah, yeah. And and so that's why I do that. Mm. And and then and I've done that on long runs where I'm starting to get a twitch. I'll I'll go ahead and just bite it and get that salt out and have that then get get across the back of my my tongue. And that's maybe why pickle juice works. And there, there's a lot of theories out there. But when you start to count the calories that come from the gel cap, you're <laughs> hardcore because I would have passed that. I, would, I wouldn't even. Have, I would have, count, I wouldn't have counted that. That would have been a pass on my list.
2: <laughs> well, you know, some people out there would have counted it. So you have to try and eliminate everything somehow. <laughs>
0: so
1: how, how often did you say you stuck your finger in the bag?
2: So in the morning and at night when it was cooler every other hour. And then during the heat of the day, I was doing it every hour. At least the bag of salt, like the magnesium and potassium I was doing every other hour pretty consistently, but the salt I was doing every hour. Hmm.
1: And how, how many um, ounces of water were you consuming? It, 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 let's, let's set the stage first. Uh, Cache Valley, northern Utah, um, beginning of May, temperatures are probably, could be close to 40 degrees Fahrenheit during the, the nighttime or even freezing. Yeah.
2: It was thirty six when I started. Okay, you, you know
1: your Cache Valley, Scott. I'm impressed, dude. I, I, that's where I'd live if I had a choice. Um, so, so it's it's cold during the heat of the day. You're probably maybe pushing sixty five. So it's pretty so, cool.
2: This one was actually this day was 70, 78. Oh, okay. Ooh. So it was
1: a little bit warmer.
2: Yeah, it was a little bit warmer.
1: So how much were you drinking during these during the day and nights? You say you're drinking more. How much?
2: Yes. I had two of those Solomon soft flask water bottles with me and I think they're 40 milliliters. Does that sound right?
1: Um, I don't know. You're talking metric. (laughs) I'm more of (laughs) an ounces (laughs) guy.
2: Just uh, two typical water bottles that you'd have in a a vest. Um, and I was drinking, I was drinking those every two hours in the cool parts of the day and then almost every hour in the heat of the day. Okay. So, you know, the nice thing with the route is like, I had some water stashed at some parks. My wife was never more than fifteen minutes away, so she was able to meet me and refill my water for me. I was out by my parents' house a good part of the day, so they met me a couple times. And then I had a lot of people that met me and joined me and ran parts with me, and they brought water to fill up. So, like, I, I, it was a pretty simple course. Like, Cache Valley is not that big, so people could always come to me as quickly as they needed to, to refill my water for me.
0: So, so Michael, do you think it was an advantage or a disadvantage now looking back on it around your hometown? Because advantage. you think it was an advantage because, yeah, because I would have known all these people and said, you know what, I could, I could just stop right here for a while and, and kick back on that guy's couch.
2: <laughs> well, maybe the quarantine helped with that because I didn't go into anybody's <laughs> house.
0: <laughs> well, good, good. But, you- I mean,
2: the people that I associate with are pretty good at like getting me off my butt. So like, I mean, the, the, the longest I spent this one spot was at my parents' house and I changed some shoes there. And that was actually in retrospect, that was the hardest spot was at my parents' house because my wife was there. Ben light was there. He came to pace me for some of it. And Ben was, Ben was supposed to pace me at my parents' house onward. But when I got there, he was like, Hey, we just got here. I'll meet you in like two hours. We're going to all go inside and have dinner together.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, <how> nice. <laughs> and I forgot my straw hat. I've got to go back home. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't run without it.
2: <laughs> so that was the hardest part was like leaving my parents' house when I knew they were going inside and my dad was cooking steaks on the grill and and all that Dutch oven potatoes, whatever it was. So. That kind of sucked.
1: <laughs> so let's talk about the pacing. Uh, so it's nice to have, you, you said Ben Light came out and, and ran with you for how many miles?
2: He did 22.
1: Oh, okay. And and besides Ben, were there other people that, that ran with you?
2: Yeah, I, have, I had a good buddy named Josh Knuckles. He met me at mile 12 and he ran till mile 40 with me. Hmm. Um, I had a couple people in between that range that met up with me that are local runners that ran with me. My cousin met me and um rode his bike with me. So I, I would say about eighty five of the hundred miles I had somebody that was with me. So that was pretty nice. Is
1: is that hard for for, for you to see them uh, you know, chon down on a Snickers bar?
2: <laughs> they, they did pretty good at hiding so what they, they were eating from me. <laughs> I'm going to run behind
1: you here for about a mile
0: or two, Michael, because yeah. I need to uh, recover. Ha, yeah. has it, in, to your knowledge, now that you've had a chance either before or after, has anybody done this officially where it's been documented?
2: I haven't seen that, no.
0: Well, now it, the, now it has been done, and it's yours, which is the, great.
2: The, the closest thing I saw was like somebody pointed out a podcast that Davy Crockett did and I guess there used to be somebody named the hungry hiker who set out to do a thousand miles on zero calories as a hike. Oh, and he made it some odd flight four or five days. Wow. So I don't know what his official distance was, but he hiked some crazy amount of miles without calories.
1: Hmm. I wonder if this, we, we should talk to Buzz Burrell and see if somehow this could qualify as a FKT on, you know, it's not a time and distance thing, but it's, a no calorie thing hmm. fastest known time without calories or something maybe maybe not i don't know
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I i was gonna try and reach out to usatf and see if like it could be a category one day where like at desert solstice or across the years if somebody wanted to do it they could go do it but, but so, it's so unique who knows
0: <laughs> so what did you learn from this What what's the takeaway
2: takeaway is that i think that as ultra runners we rely too much on like on outside influences to to get us to the finish line like you hear so so often that like oh i i need my 400 calories per hour or whatever but it's like yeah that helps but like our bodies can do so much more than what we think and like, I, I just think that there's so much more that we can figure out with our bodies that we haven't figured out yet. And, and we need to stop relying so much on other influences to do that. That just just have a little bit more confidence in yourself and your body can make it work this is the biggest thing I got out of it.
1: Michael, your next hundred, um, if whether it's planned or not, do you plan on going with no calories? Is this something that is a that, that you felt... Hey, everything went really, really well for me. You said it was very uneventful and it was a very successful run for you. Do you think this is something you're going to continue to do? Or is this just, uh, taking it to an extreme to say, you know what? I, now I have confidence that I only need to eat so much during a hundred mile run.
2: It's more that last point you just made, but mm-hmm. a couple of things on that. Um, there were a couple of spots where I was like, okay, if I had, a bottle of apple juice I could drink right now. I'd have a really good boost, and I could get going at a quicker speed. Mm-hmm. So I think that <clears throat> doing it completely fasted is definitely a performance hindrance. That you can be good at burning fat and carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I'll ever go fasted for a race unless it becomes like an official category where you can like go for a record by doing it. Um, but I will say that. And I need, like, I'm trying to figure out the science behind it a little bit more, but I have noticed that, like, I've had no inflammation after this, my recovery, like, I I, I don't even feel like I ran 100 miles, I was able to go running yesterday at a pretty quick pace, and I didn't have to do any hike breaks like I've had to do on this trail before. So for some reason or another, like not consuming calories in a race um, brought my inflammation down quite a bit and this helped me recover quicker. And I don't understand that, but, but I think there is something to that that I want to look into a little bit more.
1: And I don't I don't think we made this statement. It is a Wednesday as we're talking to you right now, and you finished this on Saturday morning, correct? Correct. So we're, we're talking three days post-race. Um, yeah. Uh, just to give you some context of what we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, Help our listeners who who haven't um, listened to some of our podcasts with uh, concerning fat adaption and ketosis and that sort of thing. How long did it take you? How long have you been trying to become fat adapted before you attempted this? We don't want people to go out there tomorrow that have eaten pasta and 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 Reese's peanut butter cups to go out and try this. Uh, how long have you been adapting?
2: Three years. Okay. I started uh, I started the day my son was born and he just celebrated his 3 year birthday a couple of weeks ago.
0: And and so. Scott, if got a few remember the time travel? We, oh, yeah, we yeah. learned that. Yeah. Oh, did we did talk I about that? So most of the listeners are like already on that. Well, that was like
2: 3 <laughs> weeks
0: ago. I can't remember that far. Does, does that does fasting help the the memories? What I want to know, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so formation of the brain is what hey, I have. Hey, so what, at, at what point, before we wrap up here, at what point did you feel you were prepared and ready to do this? You, a three year journey, but were you ready at year one or two? When could you have pulled this off?
2: You know, who knows if somebody that's a little bit more carb dependent could do this. Um, I mean, cause theoretically they would just maybe hit a wall around mile 18 and then they'd be able to bounce back cause they tapped into their fat storage. So, you know, I think it's possible that somebody that's a little bit more dependent on carbs could do this and be just fine. But like, <clears throat> I'm still texting Chef Browning questions almost every day about fat adaptation and and some of the theories behind it. So I'm still learning in like my first year, year and a half, I was not doing it correctly. So in terms of fat adaptation, it took me a while to get used to it. So no, um, I wouldn't have been able to do it before this point, I feel like, you know, everything has fallen in the line perfectly and it, it worked out for, for me to do it.
0: Well, well, right the, now. well, the good news is in a few moments, we're going to be talking to Jeff Browning. So he, we may be able to answer some of those questions because we're nice. going to be talking about you. And so this is a podcast you might want to listen to. Did you know that? Sweet. Did you know we were talking to Jeff?
2: No, I didn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Jeff Browning is Michael's coach and we're going to get um, his perspective on was Michael a little bit off his rocker to even try this and how he coached him through it. And more importantly, how can you, the listener, um, um, use this information to benefit you and your daily training and your, uh, your racing.
0: So final question, Michael, would you do it again? Yes. <laughs> well, he's definitely an ultra runner. <laughs> because it's three days past the race three, three day well we expect a yes three days after how about after the race if i ask you the same question
2: um i would do it more on trail it was 70 miles road so that sucked
1: yeah hey so here's the question we know that you are a triple crown of 200 um uh, owner and champion would you ever try 200 miles fasted
0: no, yes. I'm going to help. Oh, <laughs> oh my! Yes. I know. I was trying to help him with a no, but I saw the hesitation I tried to answer for. Him. Would you, would you try 200, um, of the Bigfoot course, which is no. a
1: lot of elevation? No. Okay. That good. Was well, the,
2: so I guess that was the biggest light like, thing I noticed was like any kind of hill, especially later on spiked my heart rate tremendously.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: And so I, you know, higher heart rate theoretically means you're trying to tap into your glucose, your glycogen. So I was trying to keep my heart rate down for this, for more efficient fat burning. And and for me, and I think for most people, hills will spike your heart rate, especially without calories. That so was no. good.
0: I'm <laughs> glad you shared that with us. Yeah. And, and Michael's doing some coaching now. So tell us about that, Michael.
2: Yeah, I'm just doing personalized coaching. Um, it's a four-week plan where we go over workout strength training um, nutrition if you're interested and you can text me whenever you want we can talk on the phone and you can read i'm still building my website so the only way to reach me is through instagram but I'm taking on people.
0: Hey, well, you know, I, 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 he does nutrition, and you don't eat during races, so I'm going to disqualify that <laughs> as one of your bullet points right now. Okay. okay. If you like to eat, Michael may not be the coach for you. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, absolutely. <laughs> if you like what he's doing yeah. with nutrition, he is the, absolutely the right coach for you. Exactly. So I think that's spot on. I have a dependency on, on on donuts. I like those when I'm racing. So you've got a. You've, we have to do a few four week sessions for me. Michael, congratulations <laughs> on doing such a great job and inspiring us and making us better by watching you become just an, an, an awesome achiever. So thank you.
2: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: Hey, what's what's next? Do you have anything on the calendar? I mean, there's no races that are scheduled. or
2: Well, it, it actually has not been canceled yet. Um, so assuming it stays that way, I have bad water. Oh, okay. And, that- you know, I'm kind of glad I did this because... You know, when you're hot, your stomach is spending so much time trying to, like, cool you down and whatnot, and it's harder to eat when you're hot. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of glad I did this because I have a little bit more confidence I won't have to eat as much in the middle of bad water, especially in the heat of the day. So I think that's going to help out.
0: Hey, we'd we'd like to uh, reserve some time with you after that bad water to see what happened. I'm interested in knowing.
2: Okay. Hopefully it doesn't cancel.
0: Michael McKnight, thank you very much. And we're about to talk to your coach in our in our travel time forward machine, which is I guess just a piece of transportation, right, Scott? <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, guys. Back. All right. Joining us now is Bronco Billy, Jeff Browning, and we know that he's the coach of Michael McKnight. Scott, you've yeah. got the first question and welcome Jeff.
3: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: You bet. Hey, if you don't know Jeff,
1: you can go back and listen to some of the the old podcasts we've done with Jeff. Jeff is a fat adapted runner, just like Michael, and has been coaching Michael for how many years?
3: Uh, a couple of years now. I, co- I coached him through the um, triple crown last year. Yep. Um. So that 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 won all all three two hundreds, um, and the course record um, uh, for all three combined. And a couple of those, I think he got the course record as well. Yeah. Um, single course record. Um, yeah, I've been, we, we've known each other for years. He was, uh, uh for, for a lot of years, he was, uh, uh, an ultra marketing and, and kind of our, our direct contact for the team. Um, so I knew him through that. And, uh, I, after my kind of walk into changing my diet in 2000, into 2015, 2016, um, we were at a, a uh, athlete summit. And I, he and I started talking about diet and, um, uh, I told him what I was doing. And then he said, he got back to me later and said, Hey, I want to learn this. And we were living. And then fast forward, I moved to Logan, Utah, where he lives. And, uh, we started running together a little bit and we continued, I kind of continued just to share data with him and share kind of what I was doing. And he decided to do it too. And then at some point he came on for coaching to kind of fine tune it
1: so that's a good context good background here's my first question michael comes to you a few months ago or whenever it was and said hey coach i have an idea i want to run a hundred miles without eating any calories what does a good (laughs) what does a good coach say to an athlete that
0: is motivated (laughs)
3: yeah i said i I said i don't think it's a good idea Uh, uh, You know, you, you know, as a coach, you, one, I don't want to be like responsible for doing something <laughs> stupid. And, and I, you know, I, on paper, you know, I think we understand that like a, a, a someone who's relatively burns a, a high rate of fat per minute, you know, a gram a minute plus, um, has the potential, um, to be able to run, you know, and, and be able to run a hundred miles, no calories on, you know theoretically. Right. Um, at that point, when, when Mike did come to me, um, there's a backstory here. I did coach another athlete, Mikey Sklar, um, who attempted it a few couple years ago at, uh, across the years. And he made it 75 miles in 20, about 24 hours, I believe if I'm recalling this correctly. Um, and, and, and he had some muscle, you know, muscle firing issues at 75 basically that shut him down. And so we theorized Mikey and I've been good friends since I coached him. I don't coach him any longer, but, but we remain in contact all the time. And, um, he's self-coached now and he's very, very geeky about the numbers. And so we, you know, he's kind of what we'd be, you consider a biohacker hmm. and, um, he, He definitely, um, he, he, we brought him into this conversation. Um, when Mike said he wanted to do it, Mike came to me and said, Hey, I want your blessing. And I was like, dude, I'm not giving you my blessing. (laughs) Like, uh, if you decide to do it, I'll help you, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to say, yeah, go, go for it. Like, you know, um, I just didn't want that responsibility personally. I don't think it's a good, I don't think it's a good, good to be in that realm, pushing an athlete to do something like that. I think they need to be self-motivated and if they want to do it, I'm totally willing to give them my opinions and then my help as, as far as expertise goes. And, and, and that's kind of where we played out. You know, we had a long text conversation about that. And I finally, I just, I, I kind of held, held firm and was like, dude, I'm not going to give you my, my blessing on this. Like I'll, I'll help you. I'll give you tips, but you know, I'm not going to say, yeah, go do it. You know, um, I think I did think it was possible. I think it was possible for someone to do it that you're right. There's it's the math pencils out. And, um, you know, I, I, and I know Jason Coop would even agree with me that, 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 it pencils out. And so it's not like we're doing some kind of groundbreaking thing. Right. But it was, it's at, it, to this point it was theory. Yes. And I think that's the important piece here. What Mike really wanted to do. It was very simple. Is it possible? Mm-hmm. Right. And he felt like, I'm willing to take that risk as a human and an adult that has free will, <laughs> he's willing to take that risk. And and so as his friend and coach, I was friends first with him and then his coach later. As his friend first, I said, "Dude, I will help you try to accomplish this goal if and, and see if it's possible. Like I'm interested too. I'm never going to do it. I'm not going to attempt it, but if you have the drive, then you know, I'll try to help you be successful. So what we did was basically we, we talked to Zach, he talked to Zach Bitter. I talked to Mikey Sklar about it. We kind of, kind of, you know, uh, we talked to, um, we talked to a doc, um, like we just kind of talked to some people and like just kind of put together a general training plan around it, trying to get his fat adaptation rate as high as possible during it. So we used some intermittent fasting um, some keto carnivore. What I've found over the years is keto for endurance athletes is is tricky because you just don't eat enough calories, and so you're not r- unless you're going to willing to take your carbs up strategically um, around effort and volume. You're not going to eat enough calories, and so it's not it's detrimental to your health long term, and so. One of the things that I found is playing around on myself and a couple other athletes who have been tinkering on their own separately that have been playing with higher protein intake. So higher red meat, higher um, fish, fowl, you know, herbivore type, type meat consumption. So thinking carnivore keto, so any excess protein that you're consuming is actually gonna get converted through gluconeogenesis to extra glu- to glucose, which is gonna to top off glycogen muscle bone glycogen, but still keep your insulin stable, which would help you tap into fat, theoretically tap into fat deeper, right? At a higher rate. So Mike, Mike has not been tested on how much, what is fat burn oxi, fat oxidation rate is per minute. I have, mine's about 1.3 grams a minute. So on multiple occasions, I've been t- tested at altitude where Mike lives at USU in Utah state. So at the same altitude, and I've been t- tested at Berkeley at goo, um, at, sea level. So my, my fat oxidation rate really didn't change much between altitude and sea level. Um, so, you know, given that he did this effort at 4,700 feet, um, 48, 47, 4,800 feet, um, n- theoretically you shouldn't burn as much fat at, at, at altitude. But, um, like I said, in my observational data of myself n equals one, I found that that didn't change much for me using the diet I'm using, um, and I do think you can be pretty highly fat adapted, even being on a higher carb diet as an ultra runner. Just because you're doing so much running and so much volume of training, most athletes, most ultra athletes, are going to be better fat burners than the average person, the average you know cohort in the population. So, given that, we're just trying to maximize it as much as we possibly can with our outside lifestyle diet and. Um, so that was our angle was to to, to use intermittent fasting, some fasted runs strategically. He did eat higher carbs through, through the big training block of volume, um, strategically around those, you know, post, especially post-workout to get ready for the next workout. So he's topping off glycogen, but he was training in a fasted state a lot just to get ready for that feeling and to understand like how it feels to be that way and not have any calories and only do electrolytes and water. And, and, and he, he definitely, he tweaked his electrolytes in the last co- few weeks to get away from capsules. Mm-hmm. So originally he was doing some capsules. Um, and he kind of started adding, we, we started talking about, you now once we brought Mikey into the conversation, Mikey's like, well, technically there's calories and capsules, you know, it's very little, but you're still taking calories. So it wouldn't be technically zero calories. He's like, you'd have to do, bulk supplements. So we did Redmond sea salt, um, uh, potassium citrate and pota- I think he bought it by the kilo, um, off of Amazon. So he, he did potassium citrate and potassium or magnesium citrate and Redmond sea salt. So those three things in Ziplocs. So he could just lick his finger, stick it in the bag and put it in his mouth and then wash it down with straight water. Um, so that was the idea, like water and electrolytes and then just go see how far he could go and try to keep that effort very consistent, you know, like so not not go to the well ever. So control his effort and see what he could do. I thought he had the potential to go tw- sub twenty four hours, um, based on his you know his his abilities and his past performances. Um, I didn't think he said he wanted to go sub twenty. <laughs> And I was just like, man, I don't know about that. you know <laughs> I, I couldn't even, I, I had a little ceiling in my thinking um, and he I, I was cool that he proved me wrong. Um, you know, 18 hours and 37 minutes, I was like I was following him through his tracker and I was just like totally surprised at his pace that he was able to maintain that pace right well, I he, thought he would slow way down the last 30 miles.
0: He said one of his strategies was to keep his heart rate low, so he really couldn't even push too hard to get out of that good cleaning clean burning zone when he didn't need to put in some carbs so that made it even harder to hit that number
3: yeah yeah I was really surprised at the pace he could hold um you know uh like I said there there was no like you know Mike is pretty he's very technical when it comes to his eating and he's very like good at staying on a regimen and like strategically doing all the rules and regulations around like kind of being fat adapted. It works for him. Um, but I, I, he's not very like he hasn't been very technical past as far as like he hasn't been tested. You know, he hasn't gone to labs. He doesn't know, even though he's heart rate zones, right. He's never even had a, you know, a lactate threshold test to know what his zones are. So he's literally going on perceived effort and, so that's what he did. What did it on. He had a heart rate monitor, but we were guessing on his heart rate because he's never been tested. So, um, it was very, because of the COVID thing going on, it was very anti, well, if that hadn't been going on, we probably would have had a lot more, a lot more study and pro poking and prodding going on if we could have opened that up and had time to plan for it. But it was kind of more whim, whimsical. Like he, he made the decision and within a six, I want to say four to six weeks, he was, he did it, you know? So he just said, you know what? I can't do any races. I'm stuck at home. Like, I'm just going to, he put together a hundred mile route on Strava and sent it to me and said, this is what I'm thinking. And uh, I was like, okay, let's, you know, if you're going to do it, let's do it. So, you know, that was his, his call. And I don't know. The rest is just like observational data out there. Right. I don't th- I don't know if it's anything groundbreaking. I just think it's interesting that he's the first to do it and that, it- that it's possible, right? It was theory on paper. And now we know it can be done. What I'd like to know is can someone else do it? <laughs> that's like a high carb athlete. Is it even possible oh. for a high carb athlete to do it right? Like that's my next question that comes naturally out of this, you know, um, and, they and would the, have to be a decent fat burner. I and, would say a gram a minute minimum.
0: And the only way we could really do a truer study is we'd have to convert Michael back into becoming <laughs> a carb athlete. Cause there's so many variables that, that you couldn't match somebody up, you know, how efficient they run and, and what goes, what's between their ears and when they bail and there's so yeah, many the, things. Yeah.
3: The brain thing's a big one. And Mike's really good. I mean, the one thing that why he's successful at 200s is he's really good at just shutting it off you know like shutting that brain down and not and managing his head and not stressing about things i think he only had one section where the route he had penciled out he had to go down a railroad track and hmm. he wasn't expecting the railroad track and it got in his head a little bit and he said he was really smooth until that so that just shows you that the brain is also very powerful and and that can can derail you. <laughs> no pun. Appropriate. A pro, no pun intended. Um, that it can de- it can derail you, right? If you if, it, if it's not what you expected.
1: Hey, let's let's dive into a little bit of the science here, and I'm going to be Captain Obvious with my first question. Um, it, it's obvious that you need fuel uh, to make the 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 muscles work. So when you become a fat-adapted athlete, you're getting that fuel from the fat in your body and having that yeah, fat convert track. into glycogen and then your muscles, glucose, glucose and then your, your your muscles use that. When you say it pencils out, meaning if you're fat-adapted, your body is able to convert fat at a higher rate or at least the rate that the muscles need that energy, correct?
3: Well, I would argue that yes, fat, I think the fat adaptation angle where you're getting a higher rate, right? We've seen that in say the faster study that those cohorts could burn at a higher rate compared to the high carb group, right? That's really the only study we have is fat adapted athletes. Like it's really a good kind of study, right? It showed like, basically you could double your fat burning rate with diet outside diet. I mean, that's, you know, cause the cohort of high carb group, I think, you know, was point is 0.2 grams a minute up to 0.9, or maybe the highest might've been measured one gram. I can't recall off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me. Um, so I'm, I'm don't quote me on this one, but basically the gist of it was that the lowest measured, the lowest measured in the high fat in the fat group was the, was the lowest measured was the highest measured in the high carb group. So they were like almost double the fat burn per minute in those groups. So that, that has led, you know, to speculation that like, okay, well, it looks like we can uh, manipulate it with diet. Right. And, and I would argue too. And I would agree on a certain level with Jason Coop in that there, he would argue that, well, we, we can, we can get, we see guys burning a gram a minute who are high carb athletes. And I would say, yes, that's possible. Especially if you have a healthy metabolism, you're younger, you know, I would say it's harder to do once you get over 40 because we, we, we tend to have a little bit of insulin since, since, uh, uh, um, insulin issues as we age, especially if we've been on a pretty consistent high carb diet. So there's a whole bunch of factors with the metabolism and age and all those things. So, you know, could someone potentially that's a high carb diet do it too? Yeah, I think it's possible. They're going to have to be a decent fat burner though. That, that, that's one thing we can agree on that they got to at least burn higher than the normal average person on a high carb diet.
0: So so that really leads to the question: um, Is is Michael Zach Bitter and yourself all known to be very efficient fat burners? Are you guys freaks of nature? Are you people that just have something genetically going for you, where not all of us can attain that. Kind of like Hussein Bolt. I mean, he, run, he runs. I looked it up. A nine fifty-eight hundred meter. There's no way I'll ever touch that because genetically, that's not me. I'm I'm better. I'm a better slower runner. So, do you think you guys just have gifts? Mm. Can we okay. all get there?
3: This is personal opinion. Yeah. Based on my own research and my own n equals one experiment on myself. Yeah. I was, I have, I did not get, I wish I would have, I did not get o- fat oxidation rates tested before I changed my diet because my diet change was out of like necessity of a health issue I was dealing with. So, so I, the, the, the auxiliary benefit was to be fat adapted and see performance benefits from that. Now, if I look at my old self, when the early days of people talking about hot burning, being a better fat burner before we had the faster study, before we had like people talking about OFM and optimized fat metabolism, fat adaptation and fat adapted athletes and all this stuff we've been talking about last few years before that I've always been kind of a guinea pig on, you know, testing on myself. I used to try to go do fasted runs like where I go do like little carbohydrate and then, but, but I was on a high carb diet, um, you know, and I would go out and run, say, go try to run two hours or three hours with no calories and just some water and salt. And I would end up walking home. Um, I would blow up, I'd bonk bad, and I'd end up walking. So in my own N equals 1, I saw that, di- that change with my dietary change. So that obviously observationally, for me personally, I saw and, – and that's where we're at in this fat adaptation realm. There's a lot of observational data, right? We don't have a bunch of like double blind placebo studies going on and and right, we have the faster studies really like the only thing we can really grab onto, you know, is fat adapted athletes. So, you know, but we do we have a lot of observational data. I've coached a ton of people in this and, and I've seen the improvements. I've seen improvements in weight, I've seen improvements in performance, in in their recovery, in their ability to handle more work, um, versus their previous self. Um you know, and even if they didn't lose weight, I saw like just them be able to handle more work. Um, they recover better. So there's a whole, there's a lot of little pieces to this that I've seen observationally that, um, lead me to keep doing it, um, and lead my athletes to stay on it or they leave for a while and quit doing it, fall off the wagon and realize, wow, I feel like crap. I'm going back to it. So all observational data, right? It's not gold standard, double blind placebo, but, but it's still data at the end of the day. And we can use that. And, and, you know, that's basically how, how we've coached this, how I've coached it personally is through, through a lot of observational data um, in my own athletes and in myself that seem to work. And, and, you know, so if you look at my performances, there is a definite uptick in my performance after I changed my diet. so, Oh, go go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I have 14 years of ultra running at a high level as a high carb athlete, 22 hundreds under my belt as a high carb athlete. And, um, and, and then I have, you know, almost, almost that same amount now as a, as a, in a lot less time. And obviously there's experience there and lots of years of base and, and that go along. And so there's, there's, there's lots of vectors that we, you know, we can't pinpoint one and isolate it. There's a ton of vectors in that situation, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, I feel better. I recover better. Um, I'm leaner than I used to be. There's a lot of factors there. And I obviously burn fat at a high rate because I've been studied on that and, and I burn 1.3 grams a minute. So, you know, that's plenty to run hundred miles, especially given your glycogen storage of, you know, two to 3,000, calories of onboard glycogen. if you can spare that glycogen at a, you know, so much a mile, right. Um, or so much an hour, then you have enough calories to go theoretically without any, as long as you can stay hydrated and balance your electrolytes. So all systems stay functioning. Um, you don't get dehydrated. I, there's that potential. So, you know, it, we'll see, I don't know. We just did it because I mean, I, Mike did it cause he wanted to. And, you know, I'm his friend and I'm him in it. It makes
0: complete sense. You know, some of the things that many times take runners out of a long race is the stomach. You know, it's really not that mm-hmm. they need that blood to run muscles and and they don't need to spend energy digesting food and and they don't need to spend time bent over vomiting. These are things that really don't help you with your finished time. And so if you can take that element out of it and you can burn efficiently and reduce the inflammation that happens in the joints and the knees and around the muscles and tendons, boy, it just makes complete sense to do it.
3: And I've had a lot of athletes come to me with that issue. Like they tried to train their their metabolic system to eat more carbs per hour and consume more carbs per hour so they don't bonk. The problem is is that the, <laughs> they they get this GI stress that they can't, they can't overcome. And so then that's, the next step is like trying to find solve a problem. They end up coming to someone like me who coaches this and that most of those people have a, they have a, uh, they have a success story after that. You know, I've had tons of athletes come to me who had major stomach issues. There's only been one that I've not been able to fix mm. with the stomach issues by not becoming fat by becoming fat adapted. So like, like, by doing this in their everyday diet, you know, keeping their insulin stable in their everyday diet. That's the whole idea behind it is stable insulin. That's the basics. You're keeping your insulin stable through eating insulin, stable foods. And, and when you don't have insulin issues, then your body will can tap into fat because the body says store fat. Whenever you have an insulin response, especially a major insulin response from your blood sugar rising at a decent amount, your, your body says store fat in the cell and it can't tap into that fat. So that's the basics behind it. You know, it works, right? Um, it works for a lot of athletes and, and yeah, maybe it's observational data, but it is what it is. And we'll all keep doing it. And, you know, and if everybody else wants to continue to eat their cookies and pasta, that's fine. That's their choice. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm all about free choice. So (laughs) in everything. So, you know, to each his own.
0: Well, we see it can be done. And, you know, Michael had the courage to get out there and do it. You, uh, um, as a good friend, was there to support him? but didn't push them over the, off the bridge, which is, which is what good friends don't push pe- their friends off the bridge of Scott. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. So don't push me. Yeah. And, and so we appreciate you coming on and giving us some guidance and some, and encouraging others. In fact, you've, you've encouraged me. I was going to go eat after this podcast, but <laughs> now I have a new sense of trying to become use some of my fat that I've been carrying around here lately.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think, I think there always needs to be a side discussion here about, you know, um, eating disorders and using food to like, as a reason or restriction of food for some some deeper issue. And I would also say out there, people need to be like, take this in context when you're talking about this and when we're looking at it, right? Mike did this to, to be able to see if it was done. You know, he's been on this diet, you know, some in some form and tinkering with it for three years. You know, I've been, I'm on my fifth year. Um, and, and so, you know, there's a reason why we keep st- sticking with it and coming back to it that we see benefits in it, um, versus our old self and on a high carb diet. And, and for some reason, you know, we, we, we found this kind of balance and this flow that we can kind of roll with in lifestyle that works. And we, and there's no reason to go back at times. I have gone back I realized why i do it in the first place and I come back to it every time. So, you know, every, everyone needs to like be open and explore things, but do it in a safe and like balanced manner. Make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. So, you know, be safe out there.
1: Yeah. Hey, um, I don't know if, uh, you've had this conversation with Michael, but, uh, um, we asked him, would you ever attempt to do 200 miles fasted? And he said, Yes. So you may have to have that, you may have to have that (laughs) conversation with him, Jeff. Why'd you guys ask him that?
3: (laughs) It's what we do. Oh man. I I don't know, man. I mean, I guess, you know, like you kind of look at it like, what, why, like a lot of people are asking, why would you do this? It sounds dangerous. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and be like, this is unsafe. And I'm like, well. You know, he only, he only went without food for 18 hours and 37 minutes. He (laughs) ate before and he ate right after. And if you look at the food he ate after he ate a ton of food. So, you know, like, is it, I don't know. I mean, people used to think running a hundred miles was like super, super dangerous and not a good idea. And now we do it all the time. You know, people used to think the four minute mile was unbreakable, you know, and that, and that was broken. And then a bunch of people immediately, there was like a ceiling there, so, you know, that's why I wouldn't ever say you could only do this if you're fat adapted. I, I do think there's some math there and and you have to like look at like how much you can burn per minute and 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 how much glycogen you can store and there has to be a, a equation there that pencils out. But, um, you know, do, do I think it's harder to probably do for a high carb athlete? Op- my own opinion? Yeah, probably. Um, and I'll throw that out as a little challenge to... Um, anybody out there that's like saying, well, it's not because you're fat adapted. It's because it's possible. And I would say, well, let's see you do it then. Um, I'll throw that challenge out to anybody who will to attempt, you know, trying to say that it's not possible. I, I don't know if it's possible on a high carb diet, possibly, you know, um, I know Jason Coop would argue it is so, you know, and he's a solid, solid coach and, and he's done the math. So, but I would argue you do have to be able to burn at a high high rate per minute. So yeah. we'll see. Well,
0: Jeff just threw the challenge out there. If you're listening and you're a, a carb <laughs> athlete and, and you're looking yeah. for something to do and you're racing. You it, gotta
3: do it at 4,700 feet though, like Mike did. Con- you, you, you gotta do it at
0: altitude. Well you you can you can contact Jeff and, and set get the rules straight and yep. go out there and, <laughs> and and become an N of two now and uh, oh, see if we can get this oh, done.
1: Oh man. Hey, if you're interested in becoming more fat adapted, there's a lot of resources out there, including Go. Broncobillycom and you can hook up with Jeff he has a great coaching service that uh, uh, I, I've heard that he answers texts in the middle of the
3: night <laughs> yeah you've heard that <laughs> <laughs> I do I'm up pretty late most of the time
0: Jeff thank you so much for joining us and uh, as always you teach us and, yep. and and some of the things you can go back and listen to the past podcast he's he's he is an athlete and a runner that you just love to watch because he's patient and he Steady and he turns it on at the end. Consistency is yeah. what I think of Jeff Jeff Browning. When we
1: when we go to Western states every year and we're we're doing our prognostications, we always know Jeff is going to be in that top 10. There's a
0: spot for him. And if he's, <laughs> if he's in 30th and he works his way to 20th and he's working, it, just watch him sneak up to the pack. And and the runners that are up front know they he's know, coming. They know he's coming. We're waiting for somebody to make a mistake. So Jeff can just leapfrog uh, forward yeah, one more step. I've had step. a few young guys
3: over the years go, I knew you were coming. <laughs> um, so, uh, I was just wait for you to show up. So like, I, you know, I, the older I get, the more I, uh, I really savor and appreciate, um, good performances. And, um, and so I congratulate Mike on, on something, doing something that, you know, was, was a theory on paper. And now w- we've shown that, Hey, it's possible. So I, I'm just stoked for him. Um, and hopefully he doesn't make this a habit. Um, well, I, 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 <laughs> I think he needs carbs. Let's just end with there. I think he needs carbs.
1: Uh That's a good way to end. (laughs) All right, Jeff. Well, hey, go out and uh, get yourself some protein and run.
0: Moss.